0: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Excited to get into week five. Hard to believe we're already at that point in the year. Uh, Have some CUSA teams um, kind of struggling to meet expectations, but we also have some who are uh, rising to the occasion. And uh, Eric Henry, I am uh, stoked to jump into what we saw this weekend. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It was an eventful weekend of CUSA play. Saw some teams... Definitely make some statements as far as, you know, kunking out there and a couple surprise upsets. Definitely a couple results that make you wonder things might be a little bit up in the air. Maybe not as decisive in terms of, you know, who we thought maybe division winners. Uh, just all in all, another year in Conference USA, right? <laughs> Everything's in flux from week five.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you you kind of hinted at it like... Let's just say the East is looking real weird right now. (laughs) Um, The West, not as much, but we'll dive into some details in that. So to kick things off, let's start with uh, number 17, Michigan State, beating Western Kentucky in East Lansing, 48 to 31. Two completely different halves here, Eric, from what I watched. Uh, Michigan State put up 42 points in the first half, which, fun fact, uh, the third highest point total, I believe, that the Spartans have ever put up in a half. So unfortunately for WKU, they continue with that trend of allowing milestone days for opposing offenses that we kind of talked about in the last episode of this podcast. Um, Bailey Zappi, another solid day for him. 46 of 64 through the air for 488 yards and three touchdowns. While he didn't throw a pick, he did lose one fumble. Um, Eric, I'm not going to say that this result was disappointing from (laughs) – western kentucky side because i did expect a loss for the tops here and kenneth walker the third is in my opinion a heisman contender but with how potent this western offense is and for throwing the ball 65 times they should have put more points on the board in the first half in particular and defensively it was just more the same in terms of their performance really
1: so it's interesting right if you look at the score this is the game that those who came into the year doubting Western Kentucky, this is the game that they said they would have, right? They would get down early, and then the air raid would generate a bunch of eye-popping numbers and would still result in a loss, right? Now, I, I'm not that pessimistic about Western Kentucky. I noted on Twitter that they've played a couple really good teams. You talk about Indiana. While you know they had their struggles with Michael Penix Jr. in terms of you know his injury status, Indiana is still a solid Big Ten team. Michigan State, top 25, top 20 team in the nation. Army, you know, that's a situation where we're going to face that offense once a year. And we saw what happened with Florida Atlantic when, while Army and Air Force don't run the same exact version of the triple option. That's still a very difficult offense to prepare for, you know, when you're going to see it once every, ideally, three or four years, right? So uh, here's, here's my POV, Joe. I understand what you're saying as far as given Western's offense, as far as their explosiveness and proficiency, you'd want to see more of them out of the first half. I am now taking the approach, right, of let's wait and see, and this upcoming week and the following weeks are going to be the true test of Western season. When they get into Conference USA play, I think it was – I don't necessarily want to say it was optimistic on our parts, because when you bring in the, the shift in offense and the numbers that Bailey Zappi put up at, you know, the FCS level – it gives you a little bit of hope, right, that Indiana comes to town, maybe you can pull the upset. Maybe you go to Michigan State and pull the upset. But those games are dead and buried. You can't get them back. Western can still accomplish the things they want to do this year, but they still have to address the things that you've talked about in your column, and I talked about them in three things in Conference USA. If they're going to run this offense, they are going to be bucking the trend in terms of running, right? And, okay, I get it. For people who are there saying, Eric, they run the air rate. They're not going to run. I'm not saying that I'm expecting them to somehow manage 200 yards rushing out of the air raid. I'm just saying they will be defying recent history. And there've been Joe, you know, this there've been teams in conference USA over the past decade or however long it's been um, since uh, since a team has rushed for less than 150 yards per game that have had prolific scoring offense. You can look at Louisiana tech when they had that string of what three straight quarterbacks with 48, 4900 yards passing, they still had a solid rushing attack as well. So if Western is going to be able to, you know, competing CUSA East, they're just going to be bucking the trend of previous winners. And they're going to need to get more out of their defense, as you mentioned as well. So I'm willing to hey say, hey, they made it through the stretch one and three. They didn't pull off any upsets. But now let's focus on CUSA play and see what they're capable of in the home stretch of the year.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I'll admit that I may have been a little overly pessimistic on Western the last like week and a half or so and that's not necessarily because like what i've seen from them the last 2 weeks has like really impressed me or whatever it's because i think i'm starting to realize like as we just talked about cusa east in particular is like more funky than i think we anticipated and which leaves a lot of opportunities for some surprises that being said you know you can't expect much out of your team in terms of wins and losses if your defense is just allowing this kind of yardage uh, against the run in particular. You go back to the Army game, and that was, uh, you know, a comedy of errors in terms of defending the run. Obviously, could have been a lot better against UT Martin, and, uh, you know, could have been obviously better against – indiana as well with the numbers that they put up um again like if you are a running team and you're going up against this western kentucky defense the math says you are going to have one of the better days of your career and that's frustrating because as we've talked about in terms of uh the overall g5 landscape if you're not winning games it none of it really matters unfortunately so with that then let's jump to cusa west uh number 23 nc state beating Louisiana Tech 34 to 27 over the weekends. Uh, Comeback fell just a bit short for the Bulldogs. Austin Kendall returned here quarterback and uh, had kind of an up and down day with three touchdowns through the air, but also two interceptions and uh, ran for 71 yards as well. So I salute the gutsy performance there, but in a one-score game, we really can't overlook those turnovers. And then defensively for Tech, they gave up a lot of what you could call explosive plays um, for that NC State offense that went for 15, 20, 30 yards. So from here on out for Tech, it's all conference play. And I'm intrigued by what we're going to see next because every game has been decided by one score. But, uh, you know, again, we talked about the way that Austin Kenzel plays and how he really just kind of puts himself out there. And it kind of bit them a little bit here.
1: No, I mean, listen, we can talk about this, especially at – this level of play this being the g5 level when you're taking on a p5 opponent you really need things to go well in in your favor and the things you can't do are turn the football over right because you can talk about points off of turnovers and sure that's hit or miss right sometimes the opposing team will cash in but you gotta look at the obvious fact that you're nuking your own chance to really put up points on the board and especially when you're on the road it's just really tough but yeah I mean I I'll say this my biggest takeaway from this game Austin Kendall appears if he's healthy and things are going well, Joe, top four quarterback in CUSA. I I mean, right now, you know, Grant Wells is still kind of, you know, up and down. We'll see how things go. Um, Yeah. I mean, like, I I Perry had a hell of a game, but, you know, FIU's going to have a lot of yards this year. I I guess my overall point is, I think once we get into conference play, someone who can put up 400 yards of total offense against a P5 school and, you know, a, a team that's, uh, uh P five school that's doing uh, what are they? Um,
0: come on, my chicken, my notes They're top twenty three, top twenty five. They're ranked twenty third.
1: Um, it's pretty solid, right? Don't you say?
0: Yeah, I mean, to your point about Austin Kendall. Um, in terms of statistics, you're absolutely right. He uh, is third in CUSA in terms of uh, average passing yards per game with two hundred and ninety four and a half uh, behind Grant Wells and Bailey Zappi there. Um, and then he's also thrown, you know, 10 touchdowns, which is tied with, uh, four other people for second in the league, or I should say tied for a uh, third because Bailey Zabby's got 16 and Chris Reynolds has 11. Uh, but I digress just in terms of performance right now, like you have to be happy with what this Louisiana tech team has shown. It's just like, they keep running into these situations where again, every single game has been one score. And I mean, plain and simple, you need to execute in those kind of situations. But statistically, they're playing really well. It's just they keep running up against these situations where they're against someone who, I don't know whether it would be like compliments them or uh, is like the perfect counter to them in that kind of situation. If it's that close and they're losing half the time. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, they're, I think, defying expectations in putting up the numbers that they are, even if it's not necessarily translating to wins.
1: No, I absolutely understand what you're saying. and I think the point you make there in terms of if you're going to play, you know, a team like uh, an NC State or or just even, you know, a top tier CUSA team, they're running into a, a few issues as far as putting together four cores of consistent football, especially in one score games. And the difference there, as I mentioned, is a holding on to the football, but also producing turnovers as well. I mean, that just helps out your your offense as well and, and you know, kind of gets your team a boost. So when you are not able to do that. The, it makes those one score games kind of happen. But I think there's reason again. Skip Holtz has been very consistent over his tenure at Louisiana Tech, and I don't think there's anything that you've seen so far. Uh, if Austin Kendall's playing quarterback, uh, that disclaimer, that makes you think they won't be able to reach a bowl game.
0: Right. I have no doubt in my mind that Louisiana Tech will at least reach bowl eligibility based on their schedule so far. I don't know that – I again, I thought they were going to be in contention for the West, possibly, but I backed off of that a couple of weeks ago. But I do think they're going to go to a bowl game again this year. Uh, with that, then let's talk about the Charlotte. Champagne. the second half of this game was in my opinion the worst half that charlotte has played this year two punts interception and a field goal here you know unfortunately that defense made illinois sophomore running back chase brown look you know all world as he finished with 257 yards on the ground and two touchdowns also had like an 80 yard run in this game um I don't know. I feel like with this one, because it is against a P5 opponent, it's a non-con uh, opponent. And you still have a lot of USA East games to play. I think Charlotte obviously can still accomplish the goal of like maybe even winning the East if Marshall keeps going the way they're going. But, you know, I think you just kind of kind of brush that one off. But as you and I have talked about the last couple of weeks, Eric, that run game is the big hole in their armor, unfortunately
1: undoubtedly joe and as you talk about they're actually leading the east right now right so they have themselves and i talked about that in my three things uh we learned over the cusa weekend it's only five games and i think most teams only have played only one conference game so i'm not saying that you know they're far and away the best team in the east or anything like that but given the struggles they came off of last year or excuse me i shouldn't say struggles struggles to play back-to-back games last year with them having so many games canceled at least if you're a charlotte fan want to say hey you know we're out to a decent start we've put ourselves in position heading into conference play to really contend but you mentioned that run defense joe i want to throw a couple things out at you it's not a i don't know if you can call it just a hole or if it is a a a whole damn ravine or whatever you know euphemism you want to use 352 going up against duke 298 against georgia state and 336 against illinois the thing that's troubling joe is Illinois was only averaging something like a buck 47 per game. I looked at their numbers before taping and and the most they'd had this year on the ground prior to this game was one seventy-eight. right? So there's, there's stat one. The second thing they are by far the worst in CUSA in terms of run defense, allowing 254.6 yards per game, which is actually third worst in all of FBS football. Now here's where that gets interesting. When you take a look historically at the numbers and you know me, I like to look back at historical trends because that goes to show me, you know, will you be able to do this or is this just kind of a blip, right? No team has allowed that yardage and not been either dead last or second to last in CUSA or had a winning record. The team who's allowed even near that that number of yards on the ground was 2016 FAU when they allowed 241.3 yards per game. The team that has finished last in run defense allowed has to usually fall fallen somewhere between the 205 and 219 range. So the fact that they're allowing 256 right now, that's a record pace. And you think through five games, that number may fall a little bit, but they still got a ways to go to not be on that 2016 FAU pace. So that's something that co-defensive coordinator Marcus West and Brandon Cooper will have to get straightened out as they enter CUSA play. And we'll get to this next week, but I think it's really interesting, Joe. On paper, you look at FIU and Marshall, excuse me, FIU and Charlotte coming up, and it's a game you think, okay, Charlotte's going to win. But they've never beaten FIU, and FIU does have a talented running back. So as you mentioned, really keep an eye on that run defense to see if they're going to be able to accomplish things they want to going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to that matchup in a couple of weeks and seeing how uh, Devontae Price can, can... – kind of bounce back from the string of performances we've seen out of him as of late, which is a nice transition into the Shula Bowl and uh, what went down in Boca last weekend. FAU won that game 58-21. to The Panthers get shut out in the second half here. The Owls total 704 yards on the offensive side, about as complete of a performance as you could ask for from Willie Taggart's squad and their offense uh, particularly. Eric, you were at this game. Uh, before we we talk about how a bad week got worse for FIU later in the show, uh, tell us how things looked from where you sat in Boca.
1: Listen, we talked about this on last week's episode, that FAU, as I mentioned, heading into this game, they'd scored 108 points. They'd only scored seven of those in the first quarter and 24 of those in the first half. Well, they eclipsed both of those numbers as scoring 34 in the first half. And they want to make a point to start fast. Willie Taggart spoke about that post game, saying that, hey, we knew that we were not getting off the good starts. We weren't, you know, we were leaving teams in games and taking ourselves out of games because of the fact that we weren't getting off the good starts offensively. So first drive, four plays, 75 yards, finished off with a Nicosi Perry eight-yard run. I mean, they just really hit the ground running. FIU was able to kind of keep in the game, Joe, when you go through the first half. At one point, I believe they had taken, yeah, they took a 14-13 lead. And at one point in the game, you know, there was 21-27 with about four minutes left in the half. But again, that defense just really struggled against FAU's up-tempo attack when FAU took a 34-21 lead into halftime. And from there, in the second half, it was all FAU. I believe it was 24 unanswered points for the Owls as they, you know, ran away with this one. And just a lot of frustration. I mean, uh, I'll just – well, we'll do this. From the FAU side of things – that's what you bring. That game is what you bring Nikosi Perry to FAU for, right? Is he going to be able to hold up against Florida or, or, you know, you have that ugly outlier against air force, right? Okay. Those things are questionable. But as I talked about in terms of top two or top three quarterbacks in CUSA, when you bring a talent like him in, he automatically has that potential, right? You're not dealing with someone who, you know, all right, we got to kind of make this guy better. He can make the pieces around you better. And that is the key with Nikosi Perry. And then shout out to that FAU defensive line as well. Evan Anderson and, and company, they just stood up the FIU offensive line. And again, as you mentioned, holding Devontae Price, I think it was 16 carries for 34 yards or something to that effect. Just not a good day overall. But from the FIU side of things, yeah, Joe, a lot of frustration for the Panthers. Um, I was outside the locker room as the team was heading in, and there was a bit of a skirmish, a bit of a kerfuffle involving the Shula Bowl trophy. Uh, you know, quick 20-second synopsis here. The tradition is that the winning team gets the rip the opposing team's helmet off of the trophy and take it back to the locker room with them the fau players i didn't witness this part i was told this afterwards that they either kicked it or threw it at the fau player at the fiu players as they were uh, leaving the field and an fiu said, hey okay fair enough i'll take this back to the, the locker room with me and then about a dozen fau players as I tweeted out on twitter uh took video that we're like "Nah, it's tradition we need that back and unfortunately joe you've been to you know cover many games you know most post-game handshakes they're quick fake hugs and well wishes five seconds and we're gone right but when you have so many kids who are from south florida played against each other Pee Wee high school etc you add in that and the trash talking so the the post-game handshake was extended and the coaches had all left the field so by the time the fau players made their way over to the fiu tunnel it was uh whichever police force uh covers the games there at fau stadium and Two members of FIU staff there to block them from entering the locker room. Eventually, all things cool, you know, cooler has prevailed and they did get the helmet. And it was seen on Twitter that they were using it as an ashtray, <laughs> uh, smoking victory cigars and dropping the ashes into the trays. But as I mentioned, a lot of frustration outside the FIU locker room post game. Butch Davis said, you know, it starts with him. And uh, we'll talk about, you know, Butch Davis in the middle section. But the Panthers definitely have to right the ship somehow
0: absolutely and you know it's interesting we've seen you know you see the little post-game skirmish uh, a few times over the course of the fau fiu rivalry and uh you know it it happens sometimes when you have these guys who have the pre-existing relationships like you mentioned and going on to the uh, post-game cigar real quick quick tangent do you remember when lsu won the national championship and the security guards in, I believe it was the Superdome. I'm not sure if that was the arena. Basically, were like, if you smoke a cigar in here, you're getting arrested. Like, just let the just let the kids who are yeah yeah, yeah tobacco yeah. enjoy their celebration. That like yeah that <laughs> I don't know why every time I see like a picture of that like that sticks out of my memory and it's just like come
1: on. But I do I do absolutely remember that. Was that was that Joe Burrow year by any chance or
0: that was yes that was Joe right? Burrow yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah absolutely remember that yeah
0: that's <laughs> ah, so silly. Um but I don't know the shoeable atmosphere rarely disappoints. Uh with that into UTSA beating UNLV 24 to 27. Uh UTSA gets by here despite that past bit of rough 316 yards in that phase of the game, uh, though they did pick off two passes. Uh, offensively, good day for Frank Harris as he completes 24 of 30 for 278 yards for two touchdowns. He also completed a pass to himself, which is somewhat impressive. Not much of a run game for UTSA, though, so I know it may seem ridiculous, Eric, to sit here and poke holes in a 5-0 and team, but is this performance concerning to you, considering UNLV is very bad?
1: I am very glad that you mentioned the fact that UNLV is very bad. I mean, they just quite frankly, they've been one of the worst FBS teams in college football over the past three years and very much in a rebuilding process. The reason I would have thought and listen, as I, you know, if I, I cover, if I use some full of butchisms. Butch Davis says it's hard to win a football game. Right. And and he's not wrong. But given some of the bulletin board material that, UNLV threw out there, when Marcus Roy, I'm sure you heard this, Joe. You uh, know, head coach Marcus Royal was told about the atmosphere in the Alamo Dome by local Las Vegas media. And he said, I-, I didn't know about it. Should I be concerned? And if there's one thing you can say about the Alamo Dome, it gets loud. And that's whether the team is winning or losing. <laughs> the Alamo Dome is a pretty rowdy environment. So I guess I, I-, I kind of expected more from UTSA given that. But all things considered, no. It's concerning on one end because the margin of victory just, quite frankly, wasn't what it should have been. But also, if I want to put a positive spin on it, Joe, if I had said to you two years ago when Frank Harris was battling injuries and we didn't know in terms of a dual threat, is he more one side of the dual threat? Is he truly a dual threat or is he just a runner that Frank Harris would be capable of 24 for 30 with two TDs? That was a question mark, right? We didn't know that. And even last year, Frank Harris and this isn't, you know, I hope this isn't sliding him, but we felt he was more of the running aspect of the dual threat and this team could go as far as his arm could take them. So the fact that they were able to, you know, load up on his right arm and he could carry, no, wait, sorry, Frank Harris is a lefty. I think he's, I think he's a lefty, right? Load up in his le- on, on his uh, left arm and make things happen. I, that on one, uh, on, for to put a positive spin on it is, is a plus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I might have to bring that up with uh, Jared when I talk to him tomorrow uh, when I record Alamo Dome uh, with those guys, um, which plug that's coming out this week, probably. Yeah. Frank Harris has grown so much as a complete quarterback. When we first kind of saw him, when he first got there, you're right. He did look like much more of a scrambler type of guy, but over the past, you know, year and a half, and it probably has something to do with the fact that he's a little bit less mobile now after the knee injury, he has developed into a really solid pocket guy. And I I commend UTAS UTSA's coaching staff for getting into that point because as you mentioned, um, with you know subpar defense like UNLV has, it's really nice to have a quarterback who you know can you know lead your team through close games like this, especially when someone like sincere McCormick is not having a very good day as he did in this UNLV game. Just want you know, to cap
1: this discussion, completely agree, because if we were entering the year, that would have been the question mark, right? If the teams are able to shut down Sincere McCormick, which not a lot of teams were able to, but if he's not having his best day, could Frank Harris get it done? And he's showing throughout this year he can do that.
0: Absolutely. And if his uh, if his need continues to hold up, then, you know, UTSA might just live up to the very lofty expectations we have for them this year. Uh, Moving on, then, let's stay within the state of Texas. Uh, Rice beating Southern Miss 24 to 19. From here on out, things are only going to get harder for Rice. So they are far from out of the woods despite this win. But. We talked about last week how they needed to get the run game going in order to open up more opportunities for Jake Constantine to throw the ball, and that game plan worked in this one as Constantine finished with two touchdowns and 192 yards through the air. The big thing for Rice or Southern Miss, depending on how you look at it, was the fact that the Rice defense intercepted the ball four times in this game, which has to be infuriating if your Southern Miss head coach will haul.
1: Yeah, Joe, you know, it's really interesting when you talk about the in terms of the turnovers there for Southern Miss. I was really I was trying to make sense of this game after, you know, A, checking out the box score, then B, getting a chance to check out some of the uh, some of the film afterwards. I really want to know what was I getting in terms of Rice in, in, in the sense that Jake Constantine had a good game, the first good game from a Rice quarterback this year. First good game since Mike Collins, you know, was the quarterback last year. And that appears steady. And on one hand, I want to commend the Rice defense for forcing those turnovers, right? But on the other end, we know, Joe, that their issue has never been defense. Sure, they may get outmatched when they're playing a Texas or, you know, a team that they completely have no chance against. But for the better part of the last three years, defensively, they've been okay. So I guess my mind goes to, is it going to take four turnovers for this Rice team to put up 20-something points a game? That's what I need to know. The rushing attack still not there. Yes, Jordan Myers had a hell of a game last week, four touchdowns. The, you know, kind of do jack of all trades, tight end, running back, wide receiver. But I just need to see some sort of consistency. So I'm not like downing the Rice win as much as I'm. Again, you know me. I'm big on trends. I want to see things over an extended period of time. You just need to see more. Just need to see more. I think you made a really good point in terms of conference USA play. It's going to get a little bit tougher for them. I looked at that schedule earlier today and. I'm trying to pick out two or three more wins. But, you know, that's a discussion we can have further on down the road if two or three more wins is really putting you where you're at or where you want to be at as a program. And now year four or five, I'm forgetting
0: here, for Mike Bloomgren. I believe it's year four. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like when you look at this game and you go back and look at the film, Bryce left it all on the field. And when you are in a where you have to empty the tank completely in order to get a five-point win over the Southern Miss team, who has some issues of their own, that's pretty indicative of where you're at. Plain and simple, you can't give that kind of performance every time, because people are going to get hurt, people are going to get you know tired, and your performance is going to suffer. The performance they gave in the Southern Miss game is not sustainable, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So it's great that they got the win. That has to be good for, you know, their their confidence heading into conference play. But in the grand scheme of things, when you look at just how hard they had to fight against this win against a Southern Miss team that, let's be real, is not good, then, you know, that, that tells you the kind of fight you're in for in the next few months. And in my opinion, I think you probably need to start thinking about your next steps in terms of, you know, as an organization or whatever, but ugh, you know, it's rice has got to be tired and they are, they have miles to go before they sleep to quote Robert Frost.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I just think it's a nail on the head in terms of expecting that level of play isn't sustainable. And if you get that level of play from your defense still only to hit
0: 20 something points, that's tough as well. So, um, you know, couldn't agree with you more. move on to what I think was the, most surprising result of the weekend, uh, Middle Tennessee beating Marshall 34 to 28. So with Marshall's other losses, we said that they could still accomplish everything they wanted to. And that's still true to some degree. But now with this loss, because it's against a CUSA opponent and one that they absolutely should have beat, here's where you have to think some Marshall supporters are getting a little bothered. Uh, On the MTSU side, I will say, I'm impressed. Uh, this was a gutsy win. Chase Cunningham did a little bit of everything. Shaitan Mobley turned in the uh, third best rushing performance of his college career, actually, in terms of uh, yardage total. And the MTSU defense recovered four fumbles, and three of those were Reed Blankenship. So uh, we've talked a lot about you know singing Reed Blankenship's praises, so good for him in this game. Uh, Chase Cunningham growing into that QB1 role pretty well. Um, and here's the thing that bothers me most about marshall right now we i've talked a lot about with western kentucky wasting you know individual the individual performance of bailey zappi so far this season i kind of think marshall's doing the same thing with with uh rashina lee at running back
1: yeah joe you know it's an interesting point you make and i i do have to play devil's advocate here yes marshall may have wasted the performance of rashina lee but rashina lee played a part in that losing two fumbles you know what i mean so yeah sure so it, especially when it's a once we talked about you know turnover margin of one score games He didn't help his own cause there by losing those two fumbles. So I I will say that, but overall, I absolutely get your point. When you look at his numbers there in terms of the 19 for 19 carries for a buck, 13 and three touchdowns, he's absolutely a CUSA offensive player of the year candidate. But man, Joe, middle Tennessee found a way to get 100 yards from a running back. It is, we should, uh, you You guys can't see this at home, but there's confetti. Joe and I both are throwing confetti over our heads right now as we're celebrating the fact that Rick Stock still got one. <laughs> I think Joe just did like the move in the club in South Florida where you just pick up a bunch of like paper napkins and throw them, over, throw them up in the sky. That's uh, absolutely the move that Joe just did there. The reason it is important to note, right? Joe mentioned that that's the third uh, highest game of Shaitan Mobley's career. That's only the second, excuse me, the third time that a middle middle Tennessee running back has run for over hundred yards since the start of the 2019 year. And guess what? In one game, there were two backs who did that. So I think that kind of counts for two games when they did that against FIU and that noteworthy 50 to 17 trouncing of FIU in 2019. My point is, we've talked about it ad nauseum, they get a ton of running yards from the quarterbacks over the past two years, haven't been able to do that from the running backs. And why is that again important? They have a lot of talent to position. So if they can do that, right? Joe, we talked about this. I don't think we can expect 300 and something yards and uh, uh, another 50 yards on the ground from Chase Cunningham every week. Yes, Chase Cunningham has blown all of my expectations out of the water, but I don't think he's going to do that every single week, right? Like, I, I just, I'm sorry, I, I don't. So if they can get a performance from Shaitan Mobley or any of their running backs and they're you know, we know Reed Blankenship can make plays. We know Greg Great can make plays. <laughs> Again, CUSA East just wide open. Do I still think that, you know, Middle Tennessee, they're going to be fighting to reach six wins for a bowl? Yes. But at least they've shown us that they have a formula. They're capable of putting together a, a ball game that shows that they can compete with Marshall. In this case, if you can compete with Marshall, you can compete with anyone in the East, really.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. And Eric, I think the... Box score of this game is indicative of the point that you've been trying to make all season when they can achieve that balance in the offense of getting, you know, one feature back to really carry the load and, uh, you know, chase Cunningham to really just, you know, grow into the role and, and do his part, which he's done, then they're in decent shape. Um, so, you know, I don't know if they listen to the show or what, but it's <laughs> it's starting to come together. Uh, And by the way, it was uh, was socks. I got some laundry to fold that I threw in the air here. I just grabbed the closest thing. (laughs) But but really Uh, quick, quick, Joe, you know what I'm talking about though, right? I think it is unique to South Florida where a guy just takes,
1: you know, the beverage napkins and throws them up in the air. Like I've seen that in the club so many, even bars. I don't care. It's such a South Florida thing or you've seen it, right? Or am I wrong? Is Is that not just
0: unique to us? So here's what I've seen. I have seen somebody basically print fake money With like their face on it, and throw it in the air. I don't understand that. (laughs) I, I, I'm surprised that someone has the audacity to throw dirty napkins in a in a club. That's funny.
1: (laughs) Oh, listen, man, it is absolutely. I've seen it in bars so many times, especially like during heat games. I've seen that. You know, if you're not necessarily on South Beach, but just in Dade County, someone will pick up bev naps and just toss them in the air and uh, i don't think they're lebron or michael jordan with the powder toss but i promise you it's happened at least a dozen times in my life
0: man like in the last like 20 years since like the whole make it rain move has become a thing yes like has there ever been uh, there has to be just like a you know nightclub strip club janitor who's just like finally something to do you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) beth mayman i i don't want to get ourselves in trouble here but um (laughs) <laughs> I, I I guess, you know, never mind. Let's just move to the next show. Let's ne- next next, next, <laughs> next game. Next, next game.
0: Talking guy. about other stuff that needs to be cleaned off of that floor. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Ne- next okay. game, Joe. Next game. <laughs> uh let's talk about UAB losing to Liberty, then I guess. Uh Blazers go down 36 to 12 in that one. First game in the new UAB stadium, uh, which our, our guy from CSB campus tour. Uh, CFB campus tour rather uh, wrote a great little column on the site, which you can go check that out. Um, Eric Malik Willis. And I don't know what else you can say about this guy ran for two touchdowns also through one UAB didn't really have an answer for him as he, you know, kind of continues his victory lap before he goes and gets drafted into the NFL uh, offensively. The Blazers are also really just weren't moving the ball the way that they, uh, the way that we're used to seeing from them. So, put those things together and you're not going to get a win unfortunately against this team
1: Joe as I give my synopsis of this game I want you to google Liberty's schedule and see if there's any way you can see Liberty play in person because it is a treat as someone who's seen Malik Willis play live twice I can sit here and talk about the fact that you would be missed Chris Mole and you know Dylan Hopkins didn't have his best game but there's at a certain point in time when just one player is so much better than everyone else on the field and nine times out of 10 Malik Willis just is that guy. He's by some accounts, if you look at your draft boards, a presumptive number one pick in the NFL draft and definitely a top two or three quarterback prospect out there right now, over 300 and something yards, of total offense. I mean, just especially his ability as a runner, Joe, it's so natural. I don't want to like place added pressure on him. But his ability as a runner just reminds me of RG3's ability when he was in college, except he's a little bit sturdier than RG3. I think he's a little bit bigger or thickly built. Remember, RG3 used to take these cartoonish hits. Like when RG3 would get hit, it looked like, you know, a Looney Tunes deal where just like, you know, splat, you know, comes on the screen. Um, But it reminds me of RG3, Vince Young, just that natural runner that when he's with the ball, it's not like a quarterback scrambling. It looks like a running back just gliding down the field and has really improved as a passer it just makes you think the fact that you know Auburn had this kid <laughs> goes to show you that uh you never know what you have on your roster but that's all I've got man like you would be I think they'll bounce back and they have a very interesting test this week against FAU so certainly uh, a test as far as
0: Conference USA concerned but Malik Willis if you get a chance to see him play in person please do it I will do my best yeah Gus Melzahn at UCF now has to be kicking himself that he didn't hold on to Malik Willis when he was the coach at Auburn uh recently. So yeah, I, I'm interested to see how uh Liberty can kind of carry on their momentum throughout the course of the season. I know they're not in COSA, but um they uh, you know they have uh Middle Tennessee coming up. Um so we're gonna talk about them on next week's show, obviously. <laughs> or uh yeah. And then they have ULM which they'll beat. They have North Texas, UMass, which who they'll destroy uh closing out the the year with two Probably pretty tough games against uh, Louisiana and Army um, but they do play at Southern Miss which uh, I'd be surprised that that didn't get a pretty sweet uh, TV slot because uh, Malik Willis getting revenge against an SEC team can't really beat that so we'll uh, we'll see. And then we have uh, UTEP beating Old Dominion 28-21 to close out the Week 5 recap. Uh, close game all around, a late touchdown from Deion Hankins and a subsequent interception by the UTEP defense. Uh, closed this win out for the Miners late in the fourth quarter. Uh, so UTEP improves to 4-1 and on the year, well on their way to bowl eligibility. Uh, Dana Dimmel doing a nice little job of turning uh, things around there, thankfully, uh, about time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, between... All of the offensive talent on this UTEP team, in particular, we we knew this was going to be a close one with both the two mistakes late in the fourth quarter. Uh, so UTEP gets this one.
1: Yeah, Joe. I think the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway, is Jacob Cowing is the real deal, man. You know, he leads the USA in receiving yards and yards per game, and when you have a playmaker like him on your roster. Joe, doesn't this make you wonder just what would happen? Listen, we've talked about Gavin Hardison a lot, and we think he's a growing prospect, of quarterback, but far from a finished product. Doesn't it make you wonder if he had, you know, a Akosi Perry or, you know, maybe from previous years, a James Morgan or, you know, guys like that as their quarterback, someone who'd get the ball to him. And he just, I, I don't know. I've just been very impressed, especially over the past three years, because this isn't just a one-year trend. He did it last year, and even in the 2019 year, he had an excellent year as well. Uh, in terms of UTEP, in terms of the bigger bigger picture for them, they're getting all the wins that we said they had to get if they're going to compete for a bowl. And guess what? They may surprise us. I was giving them the ODUs and, you know, North Texas's that they had to beat, right? But maybe they can pop up and beat a Louisiana Tech, or maybe they can pop up and beat a UTSA. Who knows? But I just, they've, they've done what we've needed them to do, and that's get the wins on their schedule that presumably their talent allows them to, right? And I don't think there's any question that they're a more talented team than ODU right now. As far as the Monarchs are concerned, my big thing that I talked about is just that they're going to be competitive each week. I think this is a team that really likes playing for Ricky Ronnie. During that year that they had where they opted out of football last year, I think he was able to build a bond with those guys. And clearly, they're putting themselves in position to win games. We know what happened last week with the missed PAT, and now this week, you know, where they lose by one score. I just... I can't say much more about ODU outside of the fact that I don't know about you, Joe, maybe I was just really bullish on them coming into the year. It wouldn't have shocked me to see them go and 12 and, you know, maybe get blown out by an average margin of, you know, something like two to three scores per game. But the fact that they're in games and playing well, and presumably they have a quarterback in DJ Mack. I think that's a positive.
0: Absolutely. Um, for Old Dominion, I think they're going to continue to develop. It's not going to be an instant thing, as we've said, but Ricky Ronnie has this team on the right track, provided they stay healthy. Back to UTEP for a second. In two weeks, on the 16th, they host Louisiana Tech in the Sun Bowl, and it's also their Athletic uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and um, it's also a tackle cancer like you know, fundraising charity thing. You combine all that with the fact that provided that UTEP takes care of business against Southern Miss next week, they could secure bowl eligibility. That's going to be a fun little Saturday in El Paso. Joe,
1: I saw a tweet, and forgive me, I can't remember exactly who it was, but I saw a tweet about UTEP only putting 1,000 fans in the stands. Listen, I don't know if that was the exact number. I have not looked at the attendance, right? Essentially, the gist of it was more people haven't come out yet. And I am not going to be the one to crush UTEP. Because I've watched home openers where they've played against Avalon Christian or where they've played, you know, this one against, uh, I can't remember if they were at home or on the road against New Mexico City. I think they may have been on the road. I can't remember. But my point is, I've seen diehard UTEP fans follow this team through, quite frankly, some very lean years. So I don't blame UTEP that, you know, a very good football uh, city there and a very good football fan base of saying, hey, you have to earn us back. We're not necessarily just going to buy in full sale, wholesale, I should say. Uh, Full sale is a university (laughs) in Central Florida, uh, right down about a mile from UCF. Um, My point is, give it time. But that game you mentioned, if they are in position to qualify for a bowl, I would bet you there are 25,000, 30,000 people at the Sun Bowl right, that you're on the Miners.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe assumption knowing how UTEP's fan base operates. So looking forward to that matchup. Uh, but that being said, they still have to deal with Southern Miss, which we will talk about in a few minutes. But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about some of the, um, I guess you could call it drama at FIU. Sort It's yes and no. Basically, Ball Scoop reported that uh, Butch was retired season after seeing a job posting for FIU football head coach appearing on the, uh, I believe it was the American Football Coaches Association job board. Um, then Brett Mc, uh, Brett McMurphy, who, a uh, very credible journalist, reported that Coach Davis would not be retiring. So Eric, I know you have been kind of uh, dealing with this all morning. Uh, it is Tuesday afternoon as we record this podcast. Uh, but what's really going on with FIU right now?
1: Yeah, Joe, it's been an eventful few hours here down in South Florida. You mentioned, the uh, I think you gave a pretty good synopsis as far as the situation. Football Scoop came out with their own reporting. and By no means am I going to, you know, I'm not out to bash Football Scoop. They do fine work, and quite frankly, they've credited me on certain things that I've broken for FIU, so I want to at least give them credit for proper attribution, you know, if that. But they did come out with a report that said that, Per their sources, Butch Davis intends to retire at the end of the year, and as you mentioned, the job was posted on the American coaches, American Football Coaches Association website. When I saw that, that perked my ears up because Butch Davis, while he may in fact retire at the end of the year, has been very defiant about asked when asked about his age or you know his future in coaching. He's always said, "Hey, what the hell else am I going to do? I've been doing this my entire life. Don't plan on stopping anytime soon, right?" So I. Did quote tweet the actual job listing and then reach out to FIU Athletics for comment. When I reached out to FIU Athletics, and Brett McMurphy did get this before me, Brett McMurphy, I believe, talked to Butch Davis. Specifically, I spoke to a representative with FIU Athletics. This essentially is the deal. The quote here is We have two perpetual pools that are always open, one for head coach and one for assistant coach. And a point of clarification. It was posted on the American Football Coaches website, but the actual listing lists all varsity sports. And I made sure to emphasize that in my tweet, that it's a listing for all varsity sports, football, basketball, baseball, track, swimming, etc. cetera. They list it for all sports, right? So to continue with, with the quote, we always have two perpetual pools that are open, one for head coach and one for assistant coach. As a state institution, we have to have the role open if we, if we lose a coach midseason. This is a ranking member of FIU Athletics. He continued, we did not post Butch Davis's role. Someone chose to take this and make it something that it wasn't. These roles roll over every quarter. So I went out of my way to kind of go back and search the listings. And they do indeed post these roles quarterly. Uh, A.J. Ricketts, who's joined the show, he's a friend of the podcast. He's the play-by-play man for FIU. But those who may not know, he also serves in the sports information department and is an assistant track coach, A.J had a illustrious and storied career as a distance runner at the university of Miami. So he, when he, you know, applied for the role at FIU, he initially applied for a volunteer track coach position. And he even stated that that is the case. They have the roles, the roles that they are open quarterly and roll over. So with all of that background and Joe, I'm definitely curious as someone who's worked in various facets of sports administration and sports in general, you can make what you want of FIU's choosing to have the roles open. But the fact of the matter is they do have the roles open. So it, that definitely made life a little bit difficult for those of us who are on the ground here in South Florida, because Butch Davis was you know, not too pleased with the fact that uh, it's being reported that he's going to retire when he's got a team that's one in four and he's trying to right the ship there. And again, listen, to be completely transparent, if things don't change, I don't think that Butch Davis will be back next year. Right. I, I don't think I'm, guarding any secrets there, but you can't jump the gun with these things and we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, Joe, I'm curious as you know, two things, your thoughts on the actual reporting itself and, you know, a, a kind of a where there's smoke, there's fire thing. And given how unique this is, as far as the role being posted open. And also this is how FIU athletics
0: does business. Yeah. Um, for starters with the concept of like posting these roles quarterly and all that, as you said, this is a thing that happens within college athletics. I can't really remember the last time I saw it for an FBS school. I've definitely seen it for like D2, D3, that sort of thing. Um, and sometimes they just kind of have these things set to like auto renew or, you know, post again at the end of, at the end of a quarter. No, they just no, kinda no, have Joe,
1: you, you nailed it. That's exactly what, that's exactly what FIU, just you context. It's exactly yeah. what they do. It's auto renew. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to add that.
0: No, no, you're fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can see how, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily have the understanding of the nuances of how these things work or, you know, doesn't necessarily have the administrative experience can see something like this and think something else is going on. That being said, it kind of brings us to the reporting and the whole issue of, you know, not to call it football scoop, but for a mistake, but them saying that they have sources telling them that Butch Davis is going to retire. And then Butch Davis directly, you know, negating that as, you know, (laughs) you were present for Eric. What's I guess just what the, the kind of missing link of this whole thing is like, where did that come from? Did they, you know, I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything like, but did somebody make that up? Did somebody like take something uh, coach Davis said out of context and, you know, try to get their 15 minutes? Like it's, I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm not really sure what happened, but I don't know that that's kind of how this thing got blown up into something or it really wasn't, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And listen, I'm not out to question football scoop sources, right? If they have sources, that is, they may very well have in fact have sources, right? I'm just saying as someone who deals with Butch Davis on a fairly regular basis, and that's not to say, listen, am, am I going to sit here and say that Butch Davis has always told me the truth? No, that's, it's that's, 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 he's a football coach, right? I mean, that's just not necessarily the case, but What really interested me was in part of football schools reporting, they said that they reached out to FIU athletics and they didn't get a comment. Listen, that may in fact be true. I have not asked FIU athletics whether or not they reached out to football Scoop, but it's just one of those things where those are on the ground. We can pretty easily access FIU athletics. And it took all of, you know, 15 minutes to get a comment from them. A pretty in-depth one at that. So it's just interesting because I'll put it to you like this. Again, I want to I can't emphasize this. I'm not out to critique football scoop, but (laughs) knowing FIU athletics the way I do, if you went to them and said, hey, we saw that there's this role posted and it lists not only it, it lists football, right? Which football scoop did only talk about the football part. They didn't talk about the fact it lists every other varsity sport, but we see it lists football. Do you have a comment? I could almost bet you that FI athletics would have some sort of comment on that uh, to try to refute that. Right. So all in all, just a confusing situation. But the fact of the matter is Butch Davis is still uh, the head coach of the Panthers. And, you know, it's something that the kids, uh, I guess this I'll end on this as someone who's been around this program and seeing the frustration from these kids, the fact that they're losing games and Joe to give you a little context here, as they were coming off the field at Texas tech, getting chance of high school D two D three, coming off the field at FAU getting chance of FCS, FCS, that's not fun. And there's a lot of frustration going on in that program and in, in terms of the players, cause they want to win, the coaches want to win. And unfortunately it's the players have to go out there and deal with all of this kind of hubble around the team, so to speak.
0: Yeah. You know, you can imagine how frustrating it would be as a player to have to deal with that kind of distraction. You know, for me, like this is not something to get in, but I did, me of something that is pretty prevalent in the sports industry of and really all industries but you know I just noticed it in the sports industry because that's what I work in just jobs getting posted and then you know getting filled uh, the organizations don't change the postings to reflect that they will have job postings up years without taking them down even though they've filled that job you know four times over and That's that's not what happened here, but it just reminded me of something that's like insanely frustrating about the sports industry and the way that they handle employment opportunities.
1: I will say, you know, as someone who knows a lot of people who work in sports in various roles, that is true. (laughs) Seemingly, those jobs are up there and they're never replaced.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Moving on to uh, week's previews, let's talk about the Friday night game we're getting this week on the 8th. FIU versus Charlotte, 7 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. 49ers favored by uh, 3.5 heading into this one. Um, you know, with this one, I think this is going to be a game that we're going to see Will Healy's team rebound from. Uh, Chris Reynolds still playing. Uh, I do think this is going to be a a true litmus test of just how much work charlotte's run defense really has to do you look at the output of fiu's run game the last few weeks and how low it's been you know clearly i the evidence points to fiu's run game itself just not being as good as we hoped it would be so if that's the case then charlotte if they're not as bad as they appear to be in that aspect of the game they should show some improvement got a big say I think Charlotte's going to win this game Uh, I do think it's going to be by more than three points
1: Joe this will absolutely be the game that I don't want to say their season comes down to this one it's a little too dramatic but if we're going to get a real idea of what the 49ers can do and how high their ceiling is they're going to need to beat FIU and they're going to need to stop the run they have not beaten FIU in five tries as an FBS football program so you have that monkey on the back as well you got the fact they're going up against one of the top running backs in CUSA and Devontae Price, even though his numbers have not bared that out over the past you know, three games. He's still a very dynamic back. Go ask, you know, uh, well, I was going to say go ask Long Island. That's not a great example. But go ask Texas State. You know, he's capable of ripping off at any time. Right. You can go ask any of the teams he played in 2020 when he ran for almost 700 yards in five games. So still a very capable running back. And the FIU offensive line will definitely be looking to bounce back against a Charlotte run defense. I am very much torn on this one because all the trends say that Charlotte should win this game. Put you this way, Joe, I'm going to take Charlotte, but we'll know about this game within the first quarter, given all of the, you know, the we'll call stuff around the program, right. In terms of FIU, in fact, they're losing and the situation came out today. We'll know by the way they start if this is affecting them internally or if they're able to put last week's loss behind them and get out to a quick start. And for Charlotte, we'll know very quickly if they're able to stop the runner, if they can. So I'm taking Charlotte, but we'll know very quickly whether or not that's going to be the case.
0: Then we have on Saturday to kick things off Marshall versus old dominion at 2. PM Eastern on CBS sports network, Marshall favored by uh 20 and a half here, minus 20.5. I should say, uh, I think Marshall's going to win this game. That being said, I'm interested. If Coach Schuff gets his team to respond after dropping a game that they should have won divisional opponent last week. This is a very important game for them, considering it is once again against the CUSA East team. Uh, Old Dominion is, you know, last week's loss, thing upward. Look, two things have been very consistent for Marshall this season, unfortunately, win or lose, and that's penalties and turnovers. So if they can, they need to correct those two things if they want to have any shot at winning the East this year. So let's see how they're able to to shift heading into this ultimate Dominion game.
1: I will keep it short and sweet, Joe. From what we gather from Charles Huff and we've spoken with the offseason, he is a man who is very much about the details and discipline and you expect nothing more from someone who coached under Nick Saban, right? It was a Nick Saban disciple. Give me Marshall and I expect him to rebound because quite frankly, if they don't, they've got bigger problems. You can say that again.
0: And then we have UAB hosting FAU at 3.30 Eastern on stadium. UAB minus four and a half heading into this game. I think this is going to be very entertaining. We need to see UAB bounce back defensively after the day that they had against Liberty last week. Uh, They, you know, good about themselves coming up with that big win in Shulable where they put up 58 points. Um, You know, I think I take UAB. Maybe I don't think Bill Clark really, you know, has ever kept his team down for long uh, mentally, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, You want to see Dylan Hopkins bounce back in a big way. He has not looked great the last two weeks, Um, but they need to get back into, you know, what they were doing two weeks ago where they were, you know, establishing the run and then opening up, you know, these, uh, these opportunities in the passing game for guys like Garrett Prince. Uh, So, Look for those play action opportunities to pay off in a big way. Um, I think it's going to be a, a super entertaining game, but I think UAB takes this one.
1: Joe, very intrigued by this one. This one definitely on paper has the potential to be the game of the week in CUSA, along with UTSA and Western Kentucky, as far as you know, maybe a tight score and entertainment value. A matchup of strength versus strength here. FAU can run the football. UAB can run the football. FAU plays very good defenses, talented defensive players. UAB has talented defensive players. I think it's going to see uh, – we're going to need to see if Chris Mole, their you know great safety slash linebacker, if he's going to be back for this game, obviously he missed last week, could come down to special teams. But in my mind, it's going to come down to a matter of the quarterbacks. And clearly, this is not any slight on Dylan Hopkins. Nicosi Perry is the more talented quarterback. I think FAU manages to go in there. They're riding high off the Shula Bowl
0: victory, and they get a win. It seems like we were never short of entertaining matchups between UAB and FAU. So excited to see how this one goes. Uh, then we have Liberty and middle Tennessee at three thirty Eastern on ESPN Liberty minus 19 and a half heading into this game. Look, middle Tennessee has, you know, corrected a lot of the things that were wrong with their offensive philosophy and defense really uh, to start the year. That being said, as if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. Malik Willis is a beast. You know, I think he's going to take over this game. Um, you know, I think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, Reed Blankenship particular plays this. I, I think the Wills runs. I have a feeling like through, through those first two few defense pretty quickly in most cases, and they're going to be on a collision course. Um, but I don't think Malik Willis is going to have any trouble putting up points and securing the win for the Flames here.
1: This will be a game that, you know, Reed Blankenship and Greg Great will both rack up the tackles because Malik Willis and Josh Mack will probably be in the secondary a lot. Give me liberty, especially they got to head to Lynchburg, a place that's kind of a tough venue if you've ever covered a game or been to a game in Lynchburg. That's actually one of the nicer venues. I can't say G5 football because they're an independent, but a very nice venue in Williams Stadium. I just think Malik Willis is too much. So, and, and listen, Scott Schaefer's defense, while they did win and forced turnovers, they still did give up over 400-something yards of total
0: offense. So I just think Liberty's a better team here. This is true. Uh, and then we have Missouri hosting North Texas at 4 Eastern on the SEC Network. Mizzou, minus 19 heading into this game. Mizzou has looked pretty solid the last few weeks, Um, so I'm interested to see what they're able to do against this North Texas team. Uh, You know, North Texas' issues, um, I don't imagine that they fixed that entire defense in the bye week this past past weekend, so I would imagine Mizzou's probably going to put up a lot of points, Um, unfortunately, for Seth Luttrell and his team. uh, Mizzou's a pretty easy pick here.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Joe, hello, old friend. Guess who's leading the Tigers in tackles? I'm going to assume Mr. Blaze Aldridge absolutely he's got 44 tackles and that is not shocking we know he is someone who is more than capable of averaging 10 tackles per game he knows this north texas team very well and i don't think there's any reason that while mizzou i believe they're two and three on the year it's obviously not having a great year as far as being in the sec i just think they have more talent than you know north texas right now north texas has their own quarterback issues I believe as the def chart the online def chart came out today that austin ani is listed as the quarterback it is not jace
0: reuter so we'll see what happens there but Give me the Tigers. And then we have Southern Miss hosting UTEP at seven Eastern on ESPN three UTEP minus two heading into this game, which is an odd line, but um, I'm picking the minors here. I think based on what we've seen out of Southern Miss the last few weeks, uh, they have a lot of issues. Not all of which can be solved in a matter of six days. Um, their quarterback issues continue to be frustrating based on the fact that they threw four interceptions last week against Rice. I I don't see any reason UTEP loses this game unless they regress in a very big way.
1: Go show me something, UTEP. Dana Dimmel and his club have a chance to really stamp out any doubts about this team. And as you mentioned, they get a chance to potentially welcome a very large crowd to El Paso when they take on Louisiana Tech in a couple weeks. I am taking UTEP. As you mentioned, Southern Miss is having their struggles at quarterback having struggles a little bit. Uh, so in the run game, Frank Gore Jr. is still putting up decent yards, but quite frankly, it's only so much you can do when your struggles are you having
0: issues at the quarterback position and defensively,
1: they're having some issues as well. So give me UTEP, go show me something.
0: And then to round out this weekend's slate, we have Western Kentucky hosting UTSA at seven Eastern on stadium uh, tops, minus three and a half heading into this game. This one's tough based on what we saw at a UTSA last week, that pass defense uh, is, you know, needs some, needs some tweaks. Um, that being said with what we've seen out of both Frank Harris and sincere McCormick in the run game and how well that UTSA offensive line plays in that regard. I think that's going to be what takes them over the edge. I think, basically Bailey Zappi is going to score a lot of points. We know this. So it's going to come down to how many stops can UTSA get? Um, you know, I am going to pick UTSA. That being said, this is a far different offense than anything they've, uh, they've seen this year going to be a very tough test for them.
1: I feel like I've said this a thousand times on this podcast. I'm a fan of trends. If you look at the trends this year, UTSA in one score games, three, and zero, thirty seven thirty 37, 30, win to open the year against Illinois. win a couple weeks ago against Memphis and a 24-17 win at home against UNLV. I believe they're due. While I think they do, you know, they have had great trends as far as one-score games, and that is a skill that they've been able to do very well at. I think they're due. I think Western Kentucky's due as well. If they are going to be any semblance of what we thought they could be coming into the year, it's got to start this week against UTSA. Give me the tops
0: for the upset. You know, believe me, I would love to see it, but... I don't think we will. (laughs) Uh, So lots of good football to watch this weekend. Uh, Tell us which ones you're watching on Twitter at underdog dynasty. Also at J O E H I O underscore and at Eric C Henry underscore. Um, And then of course, check out underdog dynasty.com every day for uh, more G5 football content. I'm really proud of what our team has been able to put together this year so far, Eric. So hopefully we can, uh, we can keep that going and uh, hopefully get a little bit of sleep somewhere in there. And maybe that's too optimistic. Um, so with that then we'll say talk to you next week have a great weekend everybody have a good, good watch